0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. I have uh, been snow skiing um, a few times in my life. It's been a long time, but uh, something I love about skiing is just that that rush, that exhilaration of of just tearing down a mountain. It's just cold, crisp out in nature. Uh, I love that feeling. But if you've ever been skiing or snowboarding before, there is this, this moment when you are going down the mountain and you're going faster and faster. And there's a moment when you go from going fast down the mountain in control to all of a sudden you realize I'm still upright, but I am now out of control. And that is this feeling and it 's kind of a rush, but it 's this moment where I, I can 't stop I can 't turn i there 's actually nothing I can do right now I am just I 'm just under the force of gravity and this mountain and the gear that i 've got right here I am still upright but I am out of control and that is there's a rush in that moment when you lose control but typically the feeling Of being out of control is a bad feeling and that is something that we experience often in various parts of our lives. I know um, one of those moments that I feel that that particular feeling and it gets me the most is when I'm on my way driving somewhere and I'm running late and I cannot control the traffic patterns in front of me. I don't know if you have ever been in that experience, if you've ever experienced that, you're running late and all of a sudden maybe the person in front of you is not paying attention to the light and so while they zip through, you get stuck at the light again and you're running late or maybe you're running late and of course of all times now there's traffic and I know when I'm feeling that that kind of tension, I'm looking at the clock and I'm kind of drumming my fingers on the steering wheel and I'm feeling that, that feeling of not having control of how how fast I need to get to the place to get there on time. See, that feeling, that feeling of out of being out of control, not having control, really comes down to a type of anxiety. It comes down to worry. And we certainly know what it's like to not feel like being in control. I mean, certainly this past season, this past year, there have been moments Where probably at some point, at one point or time or another, every single human on planet Earth felt like they did not have control of their life. And there's a, a feeling that comes with that, and that is worry. And that's something we face. That's something that can terrorize our life. That's something that can oppress our life, burden our lives. But the good news is the Bible speaks to worry, and it speaks to how to escape Worry. And there's one particular passage, it's actually in the Christmas story, that talks about how to escape worry. And so we're going to take a look at it. If you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 2. We are going to pick it up in verse 9. Now, if you are just joining us, we're going through a series called Dreaming of Hope. And we are going through, there's in this series, We're going through the Christmas story, and there are three episodes where Joseph has a dream. He's directed by God concerning Mary and baby Jesus with a dream. And we're looking at each of these dreams. We're going to look at the second dream today. And just to get you caught up on what's happening, um, right before this dream happens, it's one of the most incredible parts of the nativity story. One of the most famous parts of the nativity story. In fact, I bet right now at your home, You have a decoration of this part, either as an ornament or it's some kind of ornament on your front lawn or on your on your tree or somewhere around, you have an ornament of this moment. It's this unbelievable moment where these wise men travel all the way from a far-off land following a star, and they wind up in Bethlehem um, worshiping Jesus. But as they're traveling, what happens is they end up in Jerusalem. They don't see the star. They're not sure where to go. All they know is that this star, for one reason or another, is heralding. It's proclaiming that a new king has been born. So they wind up in Uh, Jerusalem. They go to the palace because they assume that the king there would know something about a newborn king, and they find King Herod. Now, if you know anything about the kings that go by the name Herod, uh, many of them are in the New Testament. These guys are not good guys. In fact, history tells us they, uh, most of them were so paranoid, so power hungry that they actually murdered members of their own family to retain power. So you can imagine how this particular Herod feels when wise men show up at his palace saying, hey, tell us where the new king is that was just born. He's not too excited, but he plays it off cool. And he says, hey, if you happen to find this new king, let me know so that I could worship him as well. Which is just a plot to yet again get rid of anything or anyone that's going to threaten his power. This is where we're picking up the story. We're looking in Matthew chapter We're going to pick it up in verse 9. Here's what it says. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the wise men they leave King Herod, they see the star, it reappears. They enter into the house where Mary and Jesus are, and they fall down and worship this child, the baby Jesus. They fall down and worship him. Then they pull out their treasures. Now, what we're told earlier in the the book of Matthew is that when they arrived in Jerusalem, they obviously came with quite an entourage. You know, they've just traveled across the desert, so they probably have just all of these servants. They obviously brought treasure with them, so they have, they have a, probably this whole caravan of camels. They've got treasures and gifts, and it's probably a whole big thing because all Jerusalem was talking about it. They enter into little Bethlehem and they come, they, they enter the house, they see baby Jesus, they fall down and worship this child. And then they open their treasures and they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. They offer these, these treasures to Jesus. Now this is just an incredible moment. And I want you to imagine what it must have been like to see a baby that you already know has an incredible destiny even though you're not clear on what the destiny of this child is but how amazing you know that this is going to be a king and you've come all the way and you're looking at this baby in this probably small house that is a child to a poor couple, Mary and Joseph. And you see this little helpless baby and you're looking at him just wiggling there um, either in Mary's arms or, or maybe on a, a small mat or small bed. And you just see him wiggling helplessly, but you're looking at a, a, a little child that you know is going to grow into being an incredible person, an incredible figure in that region he's going to be a king that's all they know at this point Imagine what that would have been like. Okay, I want you to imagine that you have, someone gives you access to a time machine. And I want you to think of a historical figure that you admire. You know, I don't know if it's uh, Babe Ruth or Amelia Earhart or Abraham Lincoln or Harriet Tubman or someone like that. Think of a historic figure that you really admire and you transport back in time and you see them there in their cradle as a baby. And you see them like looking up into the sky and kind of moving their arms around and and just kind of looking around at stuff. And you see in that helpless little figure a person and you just marvel at, man, the things that you're going to do one day things that you're going to accomplish. I mean, the, the thoughts you'll have in your head, the things that you'll say, the things you'll speak, you'll, you'll impact people. And they're standing around this child that they, they don't have a clear picture, but they know that there is just a destiny for this child. They know that this is a significant figure. And they're just awed that they have the, the insight to know that this is going to be someone significant, that they will be able to say, I saw that that, that, that person as a child, they have the privilege of standing over a, a, a little baby that has a tremendous destiny. And their reflex is not only to worship, but then their reflex is they want to take out from their treasures and they want to offer it to this baby. And, and why is that this worshipful reflex? It's really beautiful. They want to be a part of this baby's story. They want to give of their treasures because they want to be a part of, they want to get in on the story. This is an incredible, incredible moment. Now, this is linked, this is linked to the second dream that Joseph has. Let's pick this up in verse 13. Here's what it says. Now when they had departed, that's the wise men, when the wise men had left. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him and Search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Out of Egypt I called my son. So what's interesting is Joseph is going to have another dream, but the, but Matthew wants to make sure that this dream, it's not just like, Hey, and sometime later, Joseph had a dream and the next thing that happened is they went to Egypt. No, it's linked because he specifically says, now, when they left, now, when the wise men left. When they left Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, behold, it says at that point, watch. It says it says Joseph has a dream and he says, get up, take Mary and, and the baby and go to Egypt because Herod is coming after baby Jesus. He's going to try to kill him it says, Joseph got up. You see this, we saw this in uh, part one with the first dream. Same thing with this second dream. Joseph immediately gets up and immediately obeys, immediately goes to Egypt. Now think about this with me. Time out for a second. Relocating to Egypt in Joseph's day like on the spot, like immediately, like in the middle of the night, like relocating to Egypt in Joseph's day. That's not like us relocating to Tennessee for a couple of years. This is not like, oh, well, I've just got to get a pod and just put some stuff in there for a couple of years and then, you know, let me just look up for some job opportunities, see what the housing market's like there. Come on, Mary, let's figure out what the neighborhoods are. We want to find the right place and we got to look at the schools. We may be there long enough to put little baby Jesus in preschool there. We got to know where to go. No, no, it's not like that for him to leave in the middle of the night there are there's safety issues it would cost a fortune he's going to be traveling all the way through he's going to i mean he, he's not going to be taking an airplane he's not going to be taking a train he's not driving a car he's going to be traveling probably by foot he's going to be going all the way to Egypt he's relocating there uh, almost assuredly he knows no one in Egypt So how is he going to take his small business? He doesn't work for a big international chain that has a branch in Egypt. He's going to have to somehow set up his carpentry shop in a town there in Egypt that he doesn't yet know, that he doesn't know anyone there, and he's going to have to slowly try and build trust and figure out how to survive with Mary and and baby Jesus. How is he possibly going to make this trek in the middle of the night? (laughs) It's so amazing. Right before he needs a small fortune to travel to Egypt and survive there where he knows nobody for a couple years. Right before he needs a small fortune to take the next step in God's plan. God sends wise men from the east all the way to Bethlehem to deliver Presents, treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, things that he could trade in almost any of the cultures around him uh, all the way to Egypt. Right before he needs to go all the way to Egypt, God perfectly provides just what he needs. But you just got to see this. I mean, the way God provides here, I mean, he's just kind of showing off, right? Right? I mean, he could have had Joseph like the months leading up. He could have had Joseph like create like the, the latest and greatest kitchen table. And all of a sudden, everyone in Israel is buying Joseph's table and his, his carpentry business, you know, just took off. And he's made a fortune. I mean, he could have done it like that. But no, that's not how God's going to do it. How God does it is He's like, you know what? I'm looking in all of the world, and you know what? How about these wise men way over here, you know, way over in the east? I'm going to get them to Bethlehem, and I'm going to make sure they pack plenty of treasures because I'm going to offload some of them to Joseph. Joseph's going to need it. But how am I going to get these wise men all the way to Bethlehem? I mean, I could send them a map, I could send them some kind of tablet. You know what? No, I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to rearrange the heavens. That's what I'm going to do because they look at the stars. So I'm going to communicate it to them through their, uh, their the way they look at the stars. I'm going to communicate that a new king is here. And so I'm going to send a star through the sky and I'm going to get them all the way to, to Bethlehem to give them these treasures and provide for Mary and Joseph. I mean, do you see the incredible logistics that God worked To make this happen. I mean, all of the factors, the thousands or millions of little factors that God worked together just to provide for Joseph to be able to be obedient to the dream that God gave him. It's incredible. I mean, it's just kind of like God showing off. So what we see here is that God has a plan, wants Joseph to do it, and he's perfectly capable of providing exactly for what Joseph needs in order to do that plan. So he sends these wise men to bring these treasures. But that's not the only thing that's happening in this text. I mean, it's incredible all the things that are intersecting in this one little story. Because you might be tempted to say, okay, but like, the wise men not only provided the provision, but they also kind of triggered the problem. Because if they not come and talk to Herod, Herod wouldn't have known about Jesus. So, I mean, I get it that they provided for Joseph, but they also kind of caused the whole reason they needed to escape to begin with. Well, that's why I'm so glad that uh, Matthew included a quote from Hosea, the prophet, 750 years before this episode. Hosea uh, said what Jesus, what would happen to the Messiah, it says in Hosea chapter 11... Out of Egypt, God says through the prophet Hosea, Out of Egypt I will call my son. In other words, one day when the son of God comes, I will be calling him. He will be coming up out of Egypt. Do do you see what this means? I mean, do you see the factors that all of the innumerable factors that God is controlling. This is not just God reacting to, Oops, well, we got the wise men and Herod's mad and all this, oh, I've got to figure this out. Okay, I can work this out. No, no, this is a pre-planned situation from 750 years earlier. Do you see the majesty of this plan? Do you see how big this is? you see all the factors that he's like, okay, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna have the wise men come over here and they're gonna have Herod, they're gonna have to go down to Egypt because I wanna call him out of Egypt. So um, I'm going to make sure Hosea, 750 years earlier, they mark that and then have Matthew remember that so he can write it so that in 2020, we can talk about this. But it's not just Hosea. I mean, Matthew could have listed a couple others. I mean, roll it back, not just 750 years before this, but what if we rolled it back like, I mean, at least 1500 years back to the book of Numbers. You know, there's this curious thing in Numbers. I think it's chapter 24. And it's just a little hint where in this one kind of prophetic moment in the book of Numbers, it says that a star will rise from Jacob and a scepter will come out of Israel. It's just like this hint that there will be a star that signals one who carries a scepter. There will be a star that signals a king. I mean, that's the book of Numbers. How about um, something Solomon wrote in in, uh, Psalm 72? He, in reference to the Messiah, he said, kings will come, kings from the east, and they will come and give him gifts. Or how about this? I I just got to read this one to you. Listen to this. This is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6. I mean, listen to what it says. A multitude of camels shall come over, shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, and do you see this right here? They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. I mean, here's what I want you to see. That was written in Isaiah 700 years before the time of Jesus. I want you to see all of the details that God is pulling together in this incredible plan. God is perfectly in control over all of these details. So here's what a text. I just want you to see what we get this snapshot in this nativity story, and it's just this, it shows, coming out of this dream that Joseph has, it just shows God's provision, his total, perfect, sovereign control over all the details. He's got this incredible plan. In other words, here's what this this text teaches us. God perfectly provides for his perfect plan. He has a plan and it's perfect. And he perfectly provides for that perfect plan. Both his plan is perfect and his provision is perfect. Now we say, you know what, that's a good reminder. I, I love being reminded that God is in control. And I love being reminded that he has a plan. And I love being reminded that he provides. Then why do we worry? Why then do we have worry in our hearts if we have passages like this that show God's unbelievable ability to coordinate details, like how, how perfectly thought out and planned his will is, then where does worry come from? See, worry Worry is not believing that God perfectly provides for his perfect plan. Like that's what, if we hear that, we're like, yes. But where we don't believe that, that's where worry comes in. Why? Well, because um, worry is essentially being out of control. Worry is the emotional tension we feel when we do not have control or we've lost control. It's maybe you have uh, submitted a... Um, you've applied to a a school that you're trying to get into. Maybe it's a college or a grad school or maybe you're going back to school and you've you've done everything you can. You've filled out that application perfectly and you've submitted it and now you have no more control. All you can do is just wait and you're waiting to find out what's going to happen and while you're waiting, you're thinking, what if I don't get accepted or what if this doesn't happen or I was thinking I would go here but what if I can't? I mean, what if I can't get into any school? What if I can't study what I want to study? And all of a sudden, you're very aware of your lack of control in that moment. And that feeling is worry. Maybe you go to the doctor and you have some tests and you're waiting for the results. The doctor says, you got two weeks and we'll know the results. And all those two weeks, you're very aware of I have no control at this point. All I can do is wait. I just have to wait to find out what the news is. And what happens is we feel in that lack of control, the emotional tension of being out of control is worry. Oh, is there anything else I can do? I wish I could find out. Should I call the doctor again? I haven't heard anything. Is it going to be good news? it going to be bad news. I don't know what to do. And that is that worry because we're out of control. Maybe it's just you're looking at the industry that you work in or the company that you work for and you're like, man, I don't know, you know, how this company's doing. This company doesn't seem like we're really doing very well and I don't have any control over it. You're just worrying. I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the company? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to this industry? I I don't know. And that feeling of lack of control is that emotional tension that is worry. So let's talk about that for a second. And let's settle the issue of control. Let's just settle it Once and for all, and and this might sound harsh, but it's ultimately to free us. It's to free you. Let's settle the issue of control. You don't have it. You don't have control. Only God has control, and you're not God. Only God has control. You don't have control. Well, I mean, I have some control. Like, I mean, say I don't have any control. Like, I have Some things in my life that I actually control. Nope. You have the illusion of control. You don't even have control of your heart still beating through the rest of this message. Think of how little control you have. You don't have control of the muscle memory in your diaphragm to continue breathing in and out while you sleep. We actually have so little control. See, here's what worry is. Worry is, uh, see, sometimes we think worry is doubt. And so when you see your friend worrying, you say, hey, God's in control. And, and, but the thing about worry is it's a specific type of doubt. And if you're a, a person of faith, and, and maybe you, you are struggling, and maybe, maybe the way your doubt is, is like, look, I'm not even sure that there is a God. I'm not sure that God's in control. I don't, I'm not sure there's a God. And if he is, I don't know that he's got everything according to his plan. I don't even know if he cares about me. If that, if that is where you're at in your journey, if you're doubting even just the existence of God, first of all, I'm glad that you are journeying with us. And what that shows me is that you are reaching out to God. And you're saying, God, I don't even know if you're there, but I'm reaching out to God. And I admire that. And what I know just from my personal experience and what the Bible itself says, what I believe Is that as you're reaching out to God, he will answer you. He will come and find you. And on the other side of that, you'll realize that while you thought you were reaching out to God, it was actually God who was reeling you in. But see, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a person of faith and you say, look, no, I have no doubts that there is a God who exists that's in control, then why do you worry? It's because worry is a type of doubt. What worry is as a Christ follower is it's the tension of waiting to see if God is going to conform his plan to my plan. I know you're in control. It's just right now, God, I've got these plans for my career. I've got these plans for my love life. I've got these plans for my relationship. I've got these plans for my kids. I've got these plans for my health. I've got these plans for retirement. I've got some plans for my finances. I've got plans for this, plans for that. I've got dreams that I've got. I've got these plans. And what I'm worried is, I know I've got my plan, God, I know that you've got your plan and I know you're sovereign. So my worry is that you're not going to conform your plan to my plan. That's what worry is. It's a type of doubt. It's doubting that his plan is perfect. That's what worry is. Worry is me thinking my plan is perfect. See, here's what happens when we um, when we worry. We worry because we feel out of control, and we're not in control. We're not in control of making sure our plan happens. When we're aware of that, we start to worry. start to worry that God's not going to do what we want him to do. We start to worry. And what we typically do to try and get rid of worry is because we feel out of control, what we typically do is we try to seize control. Oh, if I could just get control back, I won't be worried anymore. So... I just grab hold of my career or I grab too hard into that relationship or I, grab too, I take too much ownership or I, I try and do my plan. I try and grab onto it and try and make my plan happen. See, what we try and do to get rid of worry is try and regain control, but it doesn't work typically because it's just impossible. And then once we get control, we're just worried we're going to lose control. And so gaining control is an illusion. It doesn't actually get rid of, of worry. So what's the The solution there, well, the solution is not regaining control. It's surrendering control. There's a difference between being out of control and surrendering control. Being out of control is when it's ripped out of my hands. Surrendering control is saying, God, I'm just going to hand all this over to you. That's what the call is. In light of a a passage like this, we see God's unbelievable, majestic ability to control details for thousands of years and pull all these innumerable trillions of factors together to play his perfect plan out. We learn that he perfectly provides for a perfect plan. So we just need to surrender control and say, God, I, I surrender my plan just want your plan because it's perfect. Can you just think with me for a second what the implications are of surrendering our plan to God, just that surrender of control? Can you think of what the implications are of that? See, what we gain then is rest and peace in the midst of the adventure. See, God's going to take us on an adventure. He wants to take us on an adventure. Picking up in the middle of the night and taking your, your wife and your small baby um, to a new country you've never been because there's a monarch that wants to kill you, that's an adventure. God wants to take you on an adventure, but what, he's not gonna make us choose between a, a monotonous, dull life, but there's rest and peace, or an adventure and it's constant anxiety and fear and worry. He's not gonna make us choose between the two. He's gonna say, no, I'm gonna, I've got an adventure story I'm writing, and I'm gonna give you peace in the midst of the adventure. Because we've surrendered and said, God, I just want your plan. And I trust that you're, you're perfectly providing for your plan. That's the second thing, rest and peace but he also gives us contentment. And he gives us contentment in plenty and contentment with little. Because, see, we have in our minds what we want and what we need for our plan. But if his plan and provision are perfect, then he is perfectly providing for his perfect plan. So here's the good news. You have everything you need today to follow his perfect plan. He's perfectly provided. You are not missing one thing that you need right now to follow his perfect plan. So you know what that gives you? Contentment. Perfect contentment right now because he's got an incredible plan and you have everything you need for that plan. Here's the next thing that it gives us. And we see this in the, in the wise men. It releases generosity. See, his perfect plan, he, he's making us like him. And you know generosity in some way, in some capacity in my life, giving of myself to people that God puts in my path, that's going to be part of his perfect plan for my life. Why? Because that's in his image. he That's the gospel. He gave himself for us. He, he came down to earth in human form, died on a cross to pay for our sins. He gave his only begotten son so that we might not perish and have eternal life. That generosity, we know that's, if he, we're following in his footsteps, that kind of generosity in my life is going going to be part of his plan. But if I am hoarding and saving for my plan, well, I need this for this and I've got this and this and this in my plan. If the wise men had that, they'd have been like, look, okay, we're here and this is an incredible person and all, but I mean, we got a whole journey home. Okay. Like, I don't know. What if there's a sandstorm? What if one of our, our camels breaks their leg? What if we hit bandits and robbers? I mean, we've got all this stuff here. I I don't know. But a star led them there. (laughs) So probably God's going to take care of it. They had the privilege of getting to be a part of this baby's story. That's what really generosity is. It's the privilege of being the, the provision of God in someone's life. But If I'm holding on to my plan, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I've got to hold on to all this. Rather than releasing it and getting the joy of being a part of, the, of, of someone in need. Maybe there's someone in need in your, in your life. Maybe a a friend or a family member that's in need, the joy of being God's provision in their life, being a part of their story. When you generously give to your church, that means every person that we reach together as a church, every person who turns their life over to Jesus and is saved for eternity, you got the privilege of being part of that, of God's provision in their life. You became part of their story with hundreds and thousands of people that you may not even know until one day in heaven. That's what the wise men experienced. But until we realize, look, God, you've perfectly provided for me for whatever your plan is. You just tell me what you want me to do. And it releases that kind of generosity in your life. It's all part of the adventure. So what does this passage do? And it shows us how intricately God provides, perfectly provides for his plan. It leads us to surrender control. We don't try and gain control seize control to get rid of worry. No, we have to surrender control and find rest. And so here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time together. We're going to take some time and and, and pray together. But it's a particular type of prayer that I want to do. It's a prayer practice called Palms Down, Palms Up. And so here's what we're going to do. It's actually a prayer posture where you actually hold your palms down because if you're going to release something you actually have to have your, your, your palms facing down to let go of it and drop it into someone's hand. But if you're going to receive something from someone, you hold your, your palms up. And so it's a practice. So here's what I want you to do. For all, the, all those that, you're, that are here, what I want you to do is we're gonna, we're gonna pray like this together. So what I want you to do, for those of you who are here, I want you to bow your heads. For those of you watching online, um, you might be there with your roommates, your, your family, your friends. You might be there in front of your TV, your computer. I, I want, this is what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment of prayer. And what I want you to do, I actually want you to physically hold out your hands with the palms facing down. So go ahead and do that. For those of you here, those of you watching online, I want you to actually physically do it. That's part of this exercise is, is it's a physical prayer posture. So I want you to hold your hands out, palms facing down. And I want you to begin just listening silently just to the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart what He wants you to surrender. It could be something that you've been chasing all day. I mean, just, it's consumed your day today. Could be something small that He wants you to surrender. And, And He wants you just to kind of drop it in His hands. Maybe all season, maybe this whole season, this whole fall, maybe this whole Christmas season, maybe all year, it might be something you've been running after to seize all your life. And you saying, are you going to surrender it to me? Because I, I got a plan and it's perfect and I have a plan for you. So let's just pray a prayer of of release and surrender. Just hold your hands out, palms down, and listen to what he wants you to surrender. Lord God, we're reminded who you are. The inventor, the creator of all that is. You astonish us with your plans, your majestic plans that, that are from age to age. You're the one that's, that's the ancient of days. You, you invented time itself. You invented all that is. You invented matter and energy and, the, and all the laws of science. You invent sunrises and sunsets and the, the fish in the sea and the birds of the air. You splash the skies with color. And perfectly reflected off the ocean, Lord, you, you astonish us with your creative ways. Why do we doubt your creative plans for our lives? You didn't forget about our lives. Lord, we know that you said of all the things you made, the constellations in the sky exploding stars and planets and the Sun and the the earth and the plants and the animals and all the things that you made day and night it's when you made humans a small little creatures on this little planet when you made us you said it's very good You made us in your image. You didn't forget about us. You didn't forget about a single one of us. You know every hair on our heads. You've got a plan, a perfect plan that's so much greater than we could possibly imagine. And so what we do right now, we confess. We drop in your hands our measly, tiny, little, infantile plans. They're so small. They're embarrassingly small before Almighty God. So we drop them in your hand. Whatever it is that we're worried about. For that mom who's worried about her kids, just drop it in his hands. For that husband who's worried about his marriage. For that young adult who's worried about finding a relationship just drop it in his hands. For that seasoned employee who's worried about his job security or her job security and doesn't know if if you lose this job, you don't even know what would come next, how you'd provide. Drop it in his hands. For that dreamer who has that gnawing, craving dream that just won't let them go from their childhood breathed in by expectations of those around them all their life. Desire for success and recognition. Just drop it in His hand. For that expectation of health. For these frail bodies that are here one minute and gone the next and then we get to our true home in heaven. Drop it in his hands. We surrender, Lord. Now I want you to take your hands and turn them palm up. And I want you to receive from the Lord. But as you wait on him for what to ask, don't go back to your small plans. Ask for even greater things than those details of your small plans. Lord, I ask for those who are sitting there right now with palms up, that they would receive discernment about your perfect plan and what the next steps are. I pray that they would receive courage about what your plans and your steps are. I pray they would receive freedom from worry. And I pray most of all that they would receive your presence in their life. The presence of almighty, most holy creator God in their life. Walking with them every single day that they would receive that as the true prize. Having released their plans. They get you, Jesus. Would they receive something far greater than what they can dream of with their plans? your name. We pray these things. Amen. I want to leave you with one final thought. These wise men were standing over this baby. Can you imagine? But they weren't just looking at a king. They They didn't even know who they were looking at. stood over this wiggling child and they were looking at the face of almighty God who broke into his creation to come and suffer and die on a cross to wash away our sins. And he rose again to defeat sin and death itself so that he could offer forgiveness to us for free once and for all. That is who they came to worship that king I say that to you because Christian is a reminder that is who you're surrendering to because you who are doubting that's who you're surrendering to and some of you are not just surrendering your worries some of you today need to surrender your life, your future, your eternity to, and find a savior in Jesus today surrender it all, everything to him today, would you do that? And so if if that's you, then I want to lead you in, in, in a prayer. And here's what I want you to do. It's there's nothing but to receive. And so if you want to receive Jesus, let me lead you in another prayer. Bow your head now. Close your eyes and hold your palms up and receive salvation. Say, Jesus, just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I believe you came to forgive me of my sins. You are the King. You are the Lord. I give you all that I am. Thank you for washing away my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If just then that was your prayer, here's what I want to invite you to do. We want to send you a Bible because we want you to know more about your Savior. And so right now on the screen, there's a link that you can click. It says cityrev.org faith. You can just click that box. It's also there in the comments. You can click that. It's going to ask you a couple questions so we know where to send a Bible to because we want to celebrate with you. So would you just take a minute now and just fill that out, cityrev.org slash faith. Let us send you a Bible as our gift to celebrate with you. City Rev, we're going to continue in a time of worship. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to be reminding ourselves of the one that we're following. We're going to remind ourselves of the one that we've surrendered to. We're going to remind ourselves of the one who's working out his plan for us. Remind ourselves of who he is. He's one that works miracles. He's one that when everything seems like there's no way through, he's the one that makes a way, and we're going to celebrate that together. So those of you who are here, would you stand with me? For those of you who are watching, let's continue in worship together.